Welcome to another mandate. Life is an adventure. Our guest today is just about ready to complete one of those adventures. Service in the United States Marine Corps. That and more coming up. And welcome to another Mandate. So glad you are with us today. My name is Joe Obermuller. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Ben Krush. What's up, everybody? Ben, What's up, Joe Obermuller? Hey, I'm here with you, and this is a good day, and uh, we've got a great guest with us today. Can't wait to talk with our good friend, Aaron Strait. Aaron uh, has been serving in the United States Marine Corps for the last nine years, nine and... Years. Uh, and he's just about ready to wrap this adventure up, and so I can't wait to dig into that and more with you, Aaron. Thanks for being here. I I appreciate it. I'm super excited right now. <laughs> I, I want to just I want to dive right in because I, th- I'm just I know so little about this world and about this process that I, I just can't wait to hear you talk about it. So how did you start in the Marine Corps? Tell us a little bit about that story. Okay. So I joined the Marine Corps in 2012. I had been going to college and Colorado State University, and I was doing it because that's what everybody does after high school. You know, that's the big thing. You go to college. And I never wanted to be there, but, you know, your parents want it, and it's a smart decision. But I chose a major that I didn't like. I did I was just a kid, you know, and I was getting to the end of my college career and I was like, oh man, I got to figure out what I'm doing in life. And, you know, the military was there and I'd always kind of thought about it, you know, and there was a lot of like things driving me in the past, like, you know, 9-11, I had a teacher that was former military. And so he like really implanted that seed. Um, So I decided to walk into a recruiting office and... I graduate like 20 days after I graduated college, I shipped off for boot camp, like I was gone. So that was 2012. I enlisted uh, to be infantry and I started out, you know, as a basic infantryman. I was a 0341 mortarman. So dropping rounds down tubes and making things go boom. It was fun. Loved it. Um, I did, I did two deployments as a mortarman. And then I got the opportunity to join the Scout Sniper Platoon. I went to Scout Sniper School, graduated, and immediately went on my third deployment. After that deployment, I got put on recruiting duty, and that brought me out here to you guys. That's that's the nutshell story. You know, there's a lot more to it. but Can we dive a little bit into that, Aaron? Let's let's dive. Okay. How do you... I think a lot of people have thought of the sniper route as kind of glamorous and it's become kind of this Hollywood that's what we you either want to be a Navy SEAL or you want to be a sniper oh yeah first of all I'm a little bit shocked like I'm struck by this how do you get picked to be a sniper or do you choose it and then what does schooling look like yeah so it's kind of different in the Marine Corps And the way that is different is every unit, every battalion, infantry battalion has an organic sniper platoon. And that sniper platoon is made up of school trained snipers and potential candidates for sniper school. 
So we call them pigs and hogs. So pigs are professionally instructed gunmen. And they're the guys that we've, they've ran an indoc, so a tryout basically, and they show the mental fortitude. They've got the, you know, they have to have a certain general technical score. Like there's some academia that goes into it. You got to be a smart guy. Generally what is thought of is like the top 2% of the infantry goes to the sniper platoon. That's ideally what it's supposed to be. Um, I got selected because I was, you know, I was a young corporal and I was spitting fire. Like I was, I was all about it. You know, I, I wanted to do everything. I took over the mortar section after my first deployment. So all the senior Marines rotated out and instead of bringing someone in, I took over the section. So I got a really cool opportunity to like step into a leadership role and really make a name for myself. And I did well. What led to that is the chief scout. So he's the most experienced sniper. He approached me on my second deployment and said, hey, um, I've noticed you. You've got a lot of the characteristics that we look for, and I think you should try out. So it's kind of like a word of mouth. Like they, they reach out to dudes and say, hey, you should try out. Now, just because the chief scout talked to me, by no means, man, I was going to make it in. So the end doc is about two weeks. It consists of one week of what we call garrison time. And garrison time is where you're around the barracks and you're taking a lot of tests and you're getting a ton of information thrown at you. The idea of garrison week is they're going to stress you out to the maximum. So you're PTN or, you know, doing uh, working out two, three, sometimes four times a day. And it's in extreme workouts. We're, we're talking, you got a 50 pound ruck, you're running eight miles and then coming back and immediately sitting in a class. And what they're trying to test is, can you stay cognizant in the worst of times at your lowest moments? Can you stay awake and can you retain information? And they just, they push that to the absolute maximum. So what happens is, is we get a lot of attrition during that first week because guys are like, you know what? I don't think I'm down with just going hard like this. And so after that first week, you get kind of a day rest. And then Sunday night, you go out and you do field week. And field week is how do you deal with sleep deprivation? So we'll do things like land navigation. Now, land navigation, you've got a compass, a map. You're going to plot a point and you got to find that point. Now, I was in... North Carolina. I love North Carolina. But North Carolina is swamps, you know, and, and the base is, I mean, we're a naval force, you know, so or an amphibious force. So we're right there in the brackish swamps. And uh, they, the swamp is actually called the Big Shaky. That's where we go to, to train. Yeah, that thing's miserable. I have nightmares about that place. I'll tell you what. Any, any guy that was a sniper on the East Coast, they know the Big Shaky. They know you don't cross it at night. And they know that many tears have been shed there. And so they, they keep you up. They just keep you awake. Constant uh, tasks, constant missions. And they get simpler as the week goes. But because your mind, I mean, you, you, you get maybe an hour of sleep, you know, and they're, they're, they tell you, hey, chow's continuous. So eat when you want. We're not going to tell you when to eat. We're not going to baby you. And you get a lot more attrition. So you might get 30 guys try out and maybe five of them get selected. So the last day, they, they take you back from the field. They give you about an hour to shower the best you can and get into a dress uniform. And then you have to sit in front of a board. 
and they're going to ask you some pretty intense questions. And, you know, uh, they're going to ask you questions that range from what's your financial status? You know, are, do you manage your money? Then they're going to ask you questions like, would you have a problem pulling a trigger and ending someone's life? How do you feel about that? Do you, you know, they knew about me. I, 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 I liked to give the impression that I was a religious person during the Marine Corps. I was, I was, I was living a lie, but you know, they would ask questions about that. Do you have religious implications that don't allow you to pull the trigger? So you're sitting there obviously just like, no, I'm ready to go, <laughs> but I, I got selected. So at that point I became a pig and the job of the school train. So we call the school train snipers hogs. Okay. So they're hunters of gunmen. Okay. Those guys, their job is to turn you into a sniper, but also prepare you for the basic school. So, uh, basic sniper uh, school has the highest attrition rate of any school in the military because, and it's, it's not like, don't get me wrong. Like you watch videos about like Navy SEALs and buds. That stuff's insane. Hey, congratulations to those guys. That's not for me. Okay. It's for the birds. Um, but it has the highest attrition rate because there is no fa- There is no success other than what the standard is. You either meet the standard the first time or you're gone. And I mean, it's as simple as on the first day of sniper school, um, they did a gear inspection. So they had given us this list. It was like a two-page list. And this thing is intense. It said, like, you need to bring 30 feet of 550 cord, of paracord. You know what I'm saying? And it's just very specific. Now, one of my uh, hogs that was in charge of me had told me, hey, you follow that list to the letter. So I did. You know, it's like, hey, bring two whistles. Well, I went and bought two whistles, you know. On the first day, they dropped five people because they had neglected to bring a certain item they didn't feel like they needed. One guy had brought, I mentioned the 550 cord. I, I, I loved this one because one guy had brought a, a giant roll of it. And he was thinking, hey, what if I need a little extra, you know? And they're like, no, we said 30 feet. You're gone. Dropped him right there on the spot. First day. Then we ran a physical fitness um, test, so the PFT, three-mile run, max crunches, max pull-ups. And if you didn't meet that standard, gone. I mean, every single day for three months is a, is a droppable day. They've dropped guys in the final week of school. You fail a test. You fail a shooting. You, fail, uh, you, you simply fail to follow instruction gone and they're serious i mean they the idea is they want to create people that are going to do the right thing every time no matter the conditions and i I lost 40 pounds during that school i tore my hamstring i it was the most brutal and fulfilling moment of my life don't get me wrong but uh, i cried a few times (laughs) in private and public so willing to admit that but you made it i made it i made it i mean that is an incredible amount of tenacity to keep going because really it's like i guess all of those things that happened to the you know the people that got cut were within their control absolutely they just made it they just made a choice well you know whether they knew knew they were doing that or not absolutely and somehow and and you made it through I made it through. 
What's wild is um, I had never really gotten behind one of the, we call them the long guns since the bolt action rifles that we use. When I got to the platoon, it was during a time when we were having trouble getting ranges to shoot those guns. And they had planned this big range that we were going to go out to and give all the guys that were potentially going to school the opportunity to shoot those guns. And it, classic North Carolina, it basically monsooned, rained us out completely. So when I showed up to the pre-sniper course, there's like a three-week course that's a pre-sniper. I had never even shot the gun. And so I get behind, like we're on the first day of, we're just learning to zero the rifle. And I'm with uh, my spotter. His name's Chris Stewart. And we lay down behind the gun. He's like, all right, you shoot first. And I was like, okay, okay. I, I get down behind the gun. I was like, okay, so what do all the hash marks in the reticle mean? And he was like, dude, you got to be kidding me. You, you don't know? I was like, bro, this is my first time laying behind the gun. How do I, how do I lay behind it? What's the right way? And I, he just like put his face in the grass. And he just rested there for a second, took a deep breath, and was like, we're, we're going to fail. And what's, what's sad is I, I passed, and, and he did not because he's colorblind and got kicked out during land nav. He was trying to hide that he was colorblind. But it's a, it's a red stake in a green swamp. He, there was no way he was ever going to see him, and he was just trying to muscle through. He's a, he is a good guy. He's an amazing shot. And man, he's just cursed with colorblindness. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is amazing. Okay, so training. Okay, okay training. You, you leave training, right? You graduate, then you get deployed. You have to take this skill set, potentially use it. Did that happen? Did you have to use what the Marines had prepared you to do? Um, so I'm actually glad that you bring that up. Because that right there, that subject is the most contentious subject of all military members. It doesn't matter what branch you're in. That is the biggest subject. So it's very difficult for someone in the military to sit in front of you and say, no. No, I did not have to be in pitched combat with sighted in on another human and pull the trigger. And the reason I say that that's the most contentious is whenever you mention to someone that you're in the military, that's their first thought. No doubt. No doubt. And it's, that's not a wrong thing to think. I'm not, I'm not trying to say, don't think that. What I'm saying is, is we feel expected to have done that. And it leads to some serious mental strife when you haven't. I mean, don't get me wrong. When you haven't? When you haven't done it. Oh, let's talk about that. Okay. So Because I think everyone out there is like, I get PTSD. I get mental health mm-hmm. for our, our active or retired military people. Oh, yeah. Because you've had to kill someone. And like, it's, it's, And you, we as civilians can't wrap our head around that. What I don't think people are thinking about is if you don't, but you are expected to. Absolutely. And that's what you're saying right now, Aaron? Absolutely. Oh, let's go there. I, I think that is like the number one thing that plagues the current military. Because when I joined the military, okay, so when I joined in 2012, my recruiter had told me, and 
so I, I let, let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. So kind of, I'll give my personal, like how I felt and then we can go into it. But when I was joining the military, I hated the person in the mirror. I hated him. He was weak. He was, uh, what I considered effeminate. I was deathly afraid of confrontation with other men. I had been in a couple fights and I had done horribly (laughs) and I was afraid of it. And so I went to the Marine Corps, specifically the Marine Corps, because what's the image of a Marine? It's just this gung ho, you know, jacked, ready to fight at all times, you know? Hoorah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I was like, they'll make me a man. They will man me up. You know, they'll make me strong. They'll show me how to lift in the gym. I'll get girls. Like, I'll be cool. So I went to the Marine Corps. And so so what did my recruiter do? He was like, hey, man, uh, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to be infantry. He's like, oh, I'm in the infantry. He's like, you want to kill people? I was like, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want more than anything. I'm like, how sick is that to think? You know, I'm a 23, I was 23 years old. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, what will make me a man is if I take someone's life. That's what's going to do it. Then people will know you don't mess with me. And he was like, he fed into that so hard. I'm not faulting him. He was just doing his job. And, you know, probably he's never had conversations like this. He thought that was the way men were supposed to act. So I come in in the Marine Corps, man, and I'm, I'm like, best shape of my life, you know, I was, I was on fire. I, I could run, you know, and for the first time ever, I'm like standing tall. My shoulders are back, you know, I'm, and people are looking at me different, you know, and, but everybody's asking me, Hey, when's the first deployment, man? When are you doing it? I was like, it's coming up. And I heard we're going to Iraq, you know, like it, it, you're just, you're feeding into it. You know, you're a new joint. Well, here's the thing. When I joined in 2012, I mean, sustained combat operations were winding down. They were going away. You know, by the time I went on my first deployment around 2013, there was really nothing going on. And the problem is, you know, the perception back here at home is uh, you look at the news. If you watch the news, you would think that there is combat going 24 hours a day and everywhere in the world. Like, it's not. It's just not. Like, you know, the big recent news went to Syria. Man, those guys sat on post. But we're, they're just hamstringed. You can't do anything. So there I go. I go on my first appointment, and I've got all my senior Marines. Now, my senior Marines had, you know, been to real hardcore combat. If you ever want to look up Marja, Afghanistan, my unit, 1st Battalion, 6 Marines, they had a huge impact in Marja. And there's documentaries about them. I mean, those guys did some heroic things, all right? These are the guys that I get trained by. So they're telling me, they're basically facilitating this mindset in the simplest way possible that if you haven't been to combat, you haven't you know, been shot at or shot others, you're not a real Marine. You know, Everything was defined by the combat action ribbon on your chest. And as a new join, you know, I saw the guys, they wore the black uh, KIA bracelets. And now here's where you start getting to the unhealthy levels. I start thinking, oh, I need one of those. I, I, I need to experience that. And you don't realize what you're thinking, but you're like, that is what I need. That's what I need. So I go on my first appointment. Um, 
didn't really get much of an opportunity. Went to Africa, went to the Middle East a little bit, was on standby to go into Iraq. Never happened. Just never happened. You know, I'm and just this constant craze of bloodthirstiness. You're just waiting to go. You have trained every single day. You've honed your body. You've focused on nothing but death and bringing death to others. That when you don't do it, you come home, you're like, well, that was a waste of time. My first appointment, I got extended twice. So it was nine and a half months. So nine and a half months, I come back and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm still not a Marine yet. You know, and that starts to weigh on you. You start to find, you're like, okay, I just need to put myself in a better position to get to that. So I started going to schools. I started attacking my job. You know what I'm saying? My second appointment uh, came very quickly because Russia invaded Crimea. And so they're like, oh, we need to get a Marine force up there to kind of like just in case Russia tries something. And so we're all amped up like, oh, baby. Like Afghanistan, thing of the past. We're about to fight Russia. Like this is the real deal, baby. And so we're amped up. We're on the ship. We're going out there. And same thing, just constant bloodthirstiness. Doesn't happen. You know, we're just staged. We're just, you know, we're just there. Now, at this point, for me, this obsession with combat and death just started to really take like this unhealthy toll. You know, it started to infest every area of my life where I was just like, I need to kill someone. And it's so weird to say that because if you say that in the civilian life, people are going to be like, uh, 911, um, there's a psychopath in here. But now you have to think I'm in a company, you know, just over 200 dudes and every single one of them feels the same way and every single one of them doesn't get a release so i was like okay i'm gonna i'm going after the next step i'm gonna go be a sniper those guys definitely get to do it it's got this that's got to be where i get my chance to prove myself truly be a man okay third deployment happens i i get the closest i've ever gotten uh i get to take part in operation odyssey lightning it's like one of the biggest bombing campaigns um, since shock and awe. It was massive. Uh, it was in Libya, and basically ISIS had raised their flag in a... I cannot remember the city, and I don't want to sound stupid, but they raised their flag, and they said, this is our territory. We're not going anywhere. We own this. And so the American government was like, cool, we're going to bomb you. The classic. So as a sniper, we're trained observers. And I got the opportunity to be on a ship just off the coast of Libya and observe the fall of rounds. And we were there to basically ensure that the rounds were hitting, that they were going off, that, you know, try to do BDA or, you know, just try to uh, uh, battle damage. So just trying to assess if it was effective. And here's what I consider at the time, this is the most exciting point of my military career. When I look back on it, it's the most, uh, it's what fills me with the most regret, honestly. Because for two weeks, I'm off the coast of Libya and I'm watching all these bombs hit. 
And I am just so excited to be witnessing the destruction of our, quote, enemy. And I was just, every time a bomb went off, I was like, yes, people just died. Like, I want that. I look back on that, man, and I'm like, wow. Like, how low are you? You don't know those people, you know? But I was so obsessed with this idea of fulfilling these expectations that people have of me, okay? Recently, I learned about a term. Uh, my lady told me about this when we were talking about it. Shout out to her. She's amazing. She knows who she is. Um, imposter syndrome. So if you do a quick, like, Google search of imposter syndrome, what does it say? It says uh, it's people feeling like a fraud. You can't take credit for your own accomplishments because you feel like uh, it was just luck or I was just in the right place at the right time. The crazy thing is, is if I, if I told you about an illness that affected 70% of adults, you'd be like, wow, that's scary. That's dangerous. That's imposter syndrome. 70% of adults have a feeling of, I'm a fraud and no one can find out about it. That's scary to me. And I had no idea that I was a walking, talking billboard for imposter syndrome. And I think, I think that's true in any profession, right? I mean, oh, that's yeah. obviously 70% of adults are not in the military, right? So this is, I, I've experienced this. I, I, everyone, everyone, yeah. everyone I know. Whether you're willing to admit it or not, mm-hmm. I think the 70% number, I don't think I'm shocked and awed by it. I think yeah. I'm like, yep, I've felt it in my adult totally. life. There's like a social media poll, like a Twitter poll, and that one said 85% of people f- feel like they've experienced it. That's insane. So is this like, I remember in, in graduate school having an entire week on this subject. And, and really, for me, in my experience, what it's come down to is... Um, thinking, thinking one should be somewhere or, uh, you know, like I should have accomplished something better by now. I'm the youngest sibling too. I have two older brothers and I I remember growing up with them and I was always sort of comparing myself to my older brothers and thinking, you know, when they are, I'm watching them, you know, get their driver's license or go out on their first date or whatever. And I'm watching them as a kid just thinking, wow, man. Those guys are so cool. Yeah. When I when I get my driver's license, I'm gonna. That's when I'll have it all figured out. Yeah. Or or when I turn 21, that's when I'm gonna get, get get it all figured out. And these are silly examples, you know. Oh yeah. But but that extends into our adult life where Absolutely. where now I'm I'm in a, I'm solidly in a career and feel like, man, if anybody knew that I just I just am getting dumber, like I you know. That, that would be so scary but then but so helpful to find out yeah oh you feel that way too man and it's um i mean the implications of what it leads to that's that's the scary part okay because for me what it led to especially when i became a sniper is i was deathly afraid of being found out as a fraud even though i wasn't a fraud i have an exemplary career I've been in leadership roles since I joined the Marine Corps. I've had 
amazing opportunities. I've lived up to them. I've done great things. And that's not me pounding my chest. But the fact that I have to say that it's not me pounding my chest, that just goes to further show my point. Like, think of any person you know that's in a successful role. What's their first thing that they do? They try to justify why they're there and why it's not that great. You know, you meet someone in a, they're the leader of a company. Oh, well, you know, I, I, I worked here for a while and, you know, it was kind of my time and, you know, I've done it's great like things. It's downplaying. They down, everybody downplays. Downplay Which and, is okay. I mean, is that the same thing as humility or is that two different things here? I, see, that is something that I've struggled with and I, I've turned to answers for that in biblically, you know, that's, that's kind of, I heard you guys on your, uh, your first, your intro podcast. And one of the things I love you guys said was i'm a jesus guy well i'm a jesus guy as well so amen uh but when i when i come to that idea it's like uh one thing you know you another guest on your podcast jonathan lamb so i asked him that question about like well isn't that humility and he says humility is not lowering yourself below others it's not self-depreciating yourself it's not being like oh look how humble i am because i can depreciate myself below you which is a different form of pride yeah that's just different form of pride that's like oh i'm so great that i have to lower myself to be humble that's not humility that's unhealthy you know and what what it leads to is you start to find really unhealthy ways to either hide your imposterness or seek that affirmation for me I sought affirmation through just really unhealthy relationships with other men, you know? So every time we would hang out, you know, you have a beer. I'm going to have six beers, you know? I'm not afraid to drive. Stuff like that. I mean, what are you, tough? What do you think you're tough for that? But you're seeking this, this fulfillment. You're seeking this thing. And then as far as, like, hiding who you are, um... Think about like one thing that <laughs> kind of grinds my gears is this idea of veteran apparel. Okay. And I, I'm not going to knock them, man. They, they do some great things. I actually had an opportunity to meet the, uh, some of the owners of the company grunt style. They're awesome guys. Their outreach programs and what they do are amazing, but man, how popular are those shirts? Because people are so obsessed with the mask. Like, I need people to know that I need them to see me as military so that in their minds, they'll see me as this, like, tough individual. So there's, like, a whole <laughs> apparel line and a way to dress. There's a stereotype now for veterans. It's because they're so afraid of being seen as a vulnerable person. You know, as you said, pride myself saying, Oh, I, I don't cry. Well, it's just because I'm stuck in this idea, you know? So one thing that, uh, about the military that has really been ingrained in me is you never want to complain about something unless you have a solution. You know, if you, if you don't have a solution, man, just shut up. <laughs> so let's go back to that. The comment you made about the question you asked Jonathan about, about okay. humility. Yeah, so yeah, he yeah. gave you that response of what it, it's not. Yeah. What did he say about what, what it is? 
Well, Jonathan's response, obviously, you know, I was asking in a, in a, a very biblical manner. And his response was humility is understanding that you're not in charge. You're not in control. Humility is looking to God to find your path. You know, if you're able to just say, hey, everything that I have, everything that I own, all my success is because of you, Father. So it's not stacking yourself up it's against not others yourself up. or needing that sort of affirmation from others. It's, 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 it's removing vertical. the comparison. Like removing the comparison of yourself to other men. Which, I mean, is that is a societal thing. I yeah. mean, look at America in the 50s. Keeping up with the, what is it, the Joneses? The Joneses, yeah. yeah. Well, Ben, this Curse reminds me of Joneses. what you asked at the very beginning about just this perception of just like civilians. I mean, brought brought about by, I don't know, man, like movies. And when I was a kid, oh, you yeah. can't do this anymore, you know? Like when I was a kid, I remember going to Target and like w- one of the aisles was like full of weapons and all sorts of things. And my friends and I would play. We'd be in the vacant lot across the street like, getting into all manner of wars you know what i mean like this idea like what you were talking about ben is like sexy it's like that is so cool to to think about that um and what you're saying is that perception and this idea of what it's like to be you know be a sniper like be something i'm not like looking to looking to somebody and saying man that person is so much cooler and stronger and tougher than me And, and really on the other side of that in this specific sense. And I think more broadly is like, you're always going to be disappointed. Oh, absolutely. Well, and let's go one step even further. Maybe that, you know, those, those toys are not being sold anymore, but the idea is right. We can all agree that that idea of masculinity and sexiness when it comes around people that can wield guns is still prevalent. Yeah. That's true. And it, and just now, what's coming into the ecosystem is we have these people, these veterans, or even active military, who are coming back from their tour, or whatever experience they have, and we've we've decided as a society that PTSD is now a real thing, right? Everyone sees it, absolutely, or at least they want to. But what they're not telling, and I want you to talk about this, Aaron is I think it's something that we just throw out there and, and we leave it there. Like, I don't understand yeah. it, so I'll acknowledge that it's over there in the corner. However, I don't know anything about it. I really don't think that it's that real because it's mental health, and mental health is, you know, foo-foo, and it's not a real thing. These people are coming back with extreme anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, I mean, I, I manage a, a guy that was in the Army National Guard, and he had to take last Friday off because although he hasn't been deployed, not been deployed for like eight years, one of his one of his guys decided to commit suicide, and it, I think it points yeah. more to what you're talking about is that he didn't get fulfilled, quote unquote. I'm doing quotes, people, yeah. fulfilled by his non-experience, and he had all this pressure. Do you, can you talk? about real PTSD? Uh, absolutely. And I got a couple examples. Um, so the first is like actual combat-related PTSD. And he is a good friend of mine. I love this man. He is actually the chief scout who 
came to me and said, hey, I think you'd be great for the sniper platoon. So I had always seen him from afar. You know, I was never on his level. So I, I never really like, had a personal relationship with him. But he's a very open guy. He's very, you know, loving. He's a, you know, he, he welcomes people in. But he's one of those guys that if you look at him, you would think, oh, he's got it all together. I mean, he's he's six foot two. He's got 23 inch biceps. He's stunningly gorgeous. He's covered in tattoos. He's got it going on. His hair is constantly perfect. Well, one time he came to me when he found out um, I was I was looking for a place to live. And he said, hey, man, I've, I've got an extra room. You can just live with me, man. No rent free. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah, rent free. I was like, I, I don't want to put you out, man. And plus, I was kind of intimidated. I mean, this guy's been a mentor of mine, and I was kind of intimidated by it. And he said, yeah, I'd love to have you move in. Well, long story short, I find out he wanted me to move in because he was struggling at home because he was going home to his own house. He was by himself, and he got to a point where he could not sleep at night unless he barricaded his own door. So at night, what he would do is he'd go in his bedroom, and he would move this gigantic um, chest of drawers or dresser or whatever you want to call it, and he would block off his door, and he'd pile a bunch of stuff up, and he'd sleep with a loaded gun. Well, one night, he's got a, a young son, Derek, a D-man. He's wild but awesome and loves a good nerf battle. Uh, he'll shoot you in the eye. Be careful. He's a cheater. And anyway, so Derek one night just has a bad dream. I mean, you guys are fathers. You know yep. the bad dream. You know what they do. They come to you. Well, Derek uh, is having a bad dream, wants to go crawl in bed with daddy, and he tugs on, he pushes the door open, and it stops because it's barricaded. So now he's out in the dark hallway, terrified, screaming his head off, and my friend cannot get to him because he's barricaded. And so what he ended up doing is, I mean, this guy's freakishly strong. So he like threw his, he like picked up his, his dresser and like threw it across the room. It actually went through one of his walls and just destroyed his room, wrenched the door open to get to his son. And he, he told me, he's like, as he's holding Derek and they're both crying, he was like, I have a problem. I've got a problem. I, I can't do this anymore. So he asked me to move in. So I moved in with him. And I'm telling you, just let's fast forward for him. Man, things are good for him. He's doing a lot better. Uh, he, he's really found a good thing for him. But that's true combat stress. I mean, he could not get over it. He had multiple combat deployments. He has had multiple uh, incidents of being in pitched combat. That's that's the PTSD that everyone feels like they know about. Like you said, you put that term up there and it's like, oh, yep, I understand that. But the other side of that, like your National Guard friend. So I had this young Marine. Okay, I don't want to say his name, but I he came to the Marine Corps. I was in a leadership role. And so he, he came as a new join and I trained him up. He was uh, in the weapons platoon. This was when I was still a mortarman. And weapons platoon is super prideful. You know, we're, we consider ourselves like we're the, we're the jocks of the schoolyard, man. Like we, everybody's like a meat eater. They love lifting, you know. Um, 
we used to do this thing when I was like fresh in weapons platoon. We would like fight some of the other platoons. Like I'm talking like 30 man brawls. Like it was crazy. The Marine Corps is a wild place. I'll just throw that out there. But he was my young Marine. He came to me and I was like trying to raise him up the best I could. Um, we went on a deployment together. My second one, like I said, nothing happened. Well, that starts to drive people nuts. Fast forward a few years. I'm on recruiting duty. I was in uh, the Twin Cities at the time. And he randomly hits me up on Instagram. And this is when I still had Instagram. But he was one of those guys that if you went to his Instagram, everything screamed tactical, shooting, combat. And, you know, he was all about the gear, the look. He owned many guns of just like, Really nice stuff. He had all the gear. Well, he hit me up on Instagram. He said, hey, man, how you doing? I was like, good. You look like you're doing good. He he got to deploy to, like, he went to Syria with 1-6 when they went, and it looks like a great deployment. It looks like they had a good time. And um, he hits me up. He's just, hey, how you doing? And I'm talking about recruiting. He's, and he just asked me a question out of the blue. He's like, hey, man, how do you explain to people that you haven't been to combat? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's just, I when I look at you, I feel like it doesn't affect you. Now, he had no idea that it absolutely ate me alive inside. But apparently, I gave this great mask. And he was like, how do you do it, man? How do you explain to people? How, do you, how are you okay with people when you say that you haven't done that? And people go, oh, and they're disappointed. Because they want to hear this visceral story of how you defeated the enemy in one-on-one combat. And you don't have that story. And I, I tried to share the best with them. But, you know, I consider that a, a, missed, a missed moment for me. You know, we always talk about, like, discipling and spreading, you know, spreading the good news and spreading the gospel and the, and the peace of Jesus. I missed that moment because I wasn't, you know, I hadn't had my conversion moment. And so I gave him the very superficial answer. Ah, oh, man, you just got to not care what people think, man. Just got to not care about it. I just don't, I don't care what anybody says about me. Ugh, look at me. In reality, I was absolutely broken inside. I didn't know how to deal with it either. He's like, yeah, man, you're right, you're right. A year later, he shot himself in the head. So you talk about, like, I hate the term PTSD. Because it's just so generalized. I mean, you have to break it down. And, and there has to be some sort of talk about the types of stress that you get from out without combat. Like, I, I'm going through my process right now. I'm getting out of the military. And that's the only thing they're really asking me about. Do you have any combat stress? No, but... You know, I, I've got really bad anxiety, man. I'm, you know, I have a hard time sleeping. Ah, yeah, just take some melatonin. Like, no, man, I haven't slept in years. Like, I, I, I'm all over the place. Sometimes I'll sleep two hours. Sometimes I'll sleep nine. You know, like, I need help. Ah, uh, well, you know, it's not really what we're treating. I mean, it's not that, like, up front. Like, they're not, like, dismissing me. But whenever you talk to someone about stress in the military that's not related to combat, 
it's not a priority. But then think about how many people are in the military right now that have not been to combat. And those guys that have been to combat, don't get me wrong, they need that help. And that needs to be something we talk about. But if we're going to talk about that, we got to talk about every other part of stress. Stress is the number one thing affecting Americans and humans. I mean, it destroys people. And we don't talk about it. So I know this conversation, it's cool that you're able to talk so freely about this. And I know that this conversation might be bringing up for people that are listening some stuff. I mean, maybe somebody's listening that knows somebody who, who could probably use some help. Or maybe somebody's listening to this that needs that. Uh, I don't know what, what the story is for our listeners, um, but I do want to leave this conversation with, with maybe some, some next steps for folks yeah. Oh, yeah. Who, who might be struggling with this. And, you know, I, I, always, I always can tell we've had a great conversation because the time um, wraps up really fast and we're there. So uh, wow. would love for you to, to just talk a little bit about, yeah. about that as, you're, as to. you're preparing to exit the military and like, what does that look like for you? What, what might that look like for others? And before you get there, Aaron, I do want to say one thing, because I don't want anyone that is either active military or is a veteran to come away from this being like, we're anti-military, you know, oh, no. because because what you're saying is you're just you are telling us the experience that you had. Oh, yeah. And everyone's had a different experience and it speaks to mental health. Everyone's going to have different yeah. mental health experience. It speaks to imposter syndrome. There's going to be levels of that for different people. We are not negating any choice that you make as a human oh, yeah. being. You have that right. We, I just want to be clear. Yeah. If you're ready to make that decision to join the military, God bless you. Oh, because that yeah. has to happen. And I'll, I'll second that and I'll say, like, don't get me wrong. I love the Marine Corps. I don't regret for a second that I joined. I think it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Well, well, I mean, there's some other things, but but it's in there. <laughs> it, it 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 has been the greatest adventure of my life. It has grown me. It has given me memories and experiences. Like I'm 32 years old, and I have done things that have filled a lifetime. And now as I'm getting out, I've got a second lifetime to live now. I, I mean, I am blessed beyond measure. I cannot begin to explain that. Good. It's just, there are some things like that men and, and this is, and I'm really glad, uh, Joe, that you, you mentioned this as like next steps, because I think this is for all men next steps. I mean, we're, we're talking 70% of adults. We're not talking 70% of the military. We're talking 70% of adults, male and female. So ladies out there, you experience this too. It actually, the first time imposter syndrome was defined, it was in successful females. So don't, don't get me wrong. It's not a male or female predominant. This is everyone. Next steps. This is what I would say. The first step is allow yourself to be yourself. And the best way to do that is to find a group of individuals that are willing to be open with you. Now, I find that through my gospel community, through my like Christ brothers. I find my validation now through Jesus. That, and I, I'm telling you, you know, that peace that it is a, that it has given me when I no longer have to rely on myself and my own self-accomplishments, it's life-altering. 
But the best way you can start is just approach someone that you consider like a best friend or even just a friend or even just a stranger and say, hey, I want to have open conversation with you. I want to be able to be myself and talk about the things that I love and not try to impress you. I guarantee 100% of the people you talk to want that same relationship. But we're so obsessed as a society of someone tells you something wrong in their life and you're like, oh man, that's terrible. You know what happened to me last Tuesday? It's like our first reaction. No, shut up and listen. Like, hey, that sounds rough. Let's talk about that. That's why I love this podcast and, and like you guys' idea. Uh, like the fact that there are uncomfortable conversations amongst men, that's what we got to change. There is no such thing as an uncomfortable conversation. I mean, I, <laughs> you can ask my roommate if you want to know about uncomfortable conversations that I'm willing to have. All right. I'm going in depth. Okay. Uh-huh. But that's what men are. That's what we're supposed to do. We are a community. That's right. Go out there and just be open with your friend. I guarantee you that they're waiting to do the same with you. I guarantee it. Take the mask off. Go out in public wearing a pink banana shirt. Aaron is wearing a pink banana shirt right now. <laughs> yes. We can't wait to show everyone <laughs> yeah. on the socials. Yeah. Hey, Aaron, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. This has just been so enlightening. I, I have a feeling we're going to have some, uh, some comments or questions about this episode. Ben... How can our folks contact us? First of all, Aaron, I also want to thank you. Uh, it is, I think we could have likely gone on for another 45 yeah. minutes, but we'll cap it here and likely invite you back. Good. Uh, but yes, people, please reach out. You can find us on Instagram at mandatepod. Uh, shoot us an email. We've had some really awesome emails um, from viewers that have given us uh, critiques, but also what we love is questions. Uh, and that's at mandate.pod at gmail.com. And then brand new uh, to the portfolio of social medias is uh, you can find us now on Twitter at Podcast Mandate. Uh, you can check us out on all three of those. Of course, please subscribe, like, and share. I think what we need to walk away from from Aaron is uh, I'm always impressed when we come in here and and viewers, uh, we've had a lot of questions about this, about you know our editing and the questions that we ask. This podcast is not edited one iota. Uh, we have we don't preface our guests with questions. It just kind of goes there, and it's crazy how it always funnels down to the basic vision and goals of Mandate Podcast. That's right. Well, you, we don't edit our everyday conversations, right? You got to step into it. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do. And what Aaron said is exactly what we traditionally have said in all of our podcasts. This podcast is here to open up the opportunity or for to give you courage or to give you an idea of how to do it, but it's how to have more conversations about the topics you don't typically talk about with your wife, with your kids, with your friends, with new friends, with parents, whatever it may be. But we hope that uh, you can take some wisdom from Aaron, uh, and you can take that out into your your social world. So Aaron, God bless you, my friend. That was just oh, absolutely you, awesome. Uh, and your ability to deliberate on your experience at what I would call still a pretty young age. Yeah. Uh, you are wise beyond your years, friend, and you have uh, you have such a magical life coming forward. 
I know. I've got so much, too. I'm ready. Hey, thanks for being with us for another Mandate. We'll see you next week.